Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now we return to Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews. Here's a teaching in Hebrews 12, verses 4 through 11, called, The Lord Disciplines Those He Loves. Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Oh, I didn't hear any amen. Now keep in mind, he disciplines those he loves. That's important to remember as we go into this passage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Your love is not always the definition that we see in our society. Sometimes we define love as the, uh, just the syrupy, kind of sappy love that, uh, sometimes is wonderful. We, we appreciate those expressions of love. We appreciate forgiveness. We appreciate the patience of God, your loving kindness, which is better than life. Yet we know there is also a side to love that is disciplinary. There's a side to love that has to correct in order to see growth and protection. Some of it is preventative, some of it is corrective, some of it is educational, but all intended from the hand of a loving Father that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we might be more like Him, that we might share in Your holiness without which The writer of Hebrews says, no one will see the Lord. That's radical. And so, Father, we come before you in humility because we realize, and I realize right off the the get-go here, that to preach a message like this um, is something that I do in humility and reverence because I know your disciplinary hand's been in my life many times. But I do appreciate it because I know that the motivation has always been love, It's never been condemnation, but correction. It's never been wrath, but uh, to bring me a future, a good future, and a hope. And so I pray, Father, that as we study your word by your Holy Spirit, you'll lead and guide and direct us and speak to us as your church today so that we might fix our eyes on Jesus and continue to persevere and run the race that's marked out before us until we cross the finish line and fall into your loving arms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, the Lord disciplines those he loves. One of the great scenes in the Bible that we all can relate to is the scene of Peter, who said, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come to you on the water. The Lord had sent the disciples into the storm. You remember he was up on the mountaintop praying, no doubt praying for them. Mark gives us an insight into the condition of the disciples' hearts. He says their hearts were still hard even after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Apparently they still did not get it. And the whole of the Gospels, when you see the Lord dealing with the disciples, one way that you could kind of put it in a big picture sense is the Lord was trying to mature their faith. 
He knew that in some three to three and a half years, they would have to go on. They would be the representatives of the kingdom. And so in that window of time, he was testing their faith and increasing their faith. And so they went into the storm, and you remember the story, they're, they're straining at the oars, the wind was contrary, the, the uh, spray is whipping into their eyes, and they have to be wondering where he is, and all of a sudden, they see this figure. And remember that on the Sea of Galilee, this was a storm. There were waves. There was a lot going on at the time. It wasn't just some calm water where you try to look under the glassy water and see if he's stepping on something. These were waves that he was on top of. He was walking on top of the storm. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you on the water. Hey, that's an act of faith, isn't it? And Peter, the Lord said, come. Peter stepped out of the boat. That's what faith does. It steps out, right? And can you imagine being Peter and you're actually walking on H2O? And as long as his eyes were on the Lord, you remember he was walking on the water, but then he began to look around and he realized, what in the world am I doing? He saw the wind, he saw the waves, they were boisterous, and he began to, you remember, sink. The moment he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. And then Jesus gives him the exhortation, it's found in Matthew 14:31. Jesus stretched out his hand, as the Lord will always do, even when we take our eyes off of him. He took hold of him and he said to Peter, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The issue of why Peter sank was the lack of faith, and it was taking his eyes off Jesus, and that's exactly what was happening to the Hebrew church in Hebrews chapter 12. Many of them were going through trials. Uh, the, The writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage them with all these heroes of the faith, and some of their stories ended by deliverance from fire and the edge of the sword, and for others, they died. And they were looking for, remember, that better resurrection. And so now the writer moves into Hebrews 2, uh, excuse me, Hebrews 12, 1, and he says, therefore, he talks about laying aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, and then he says, fixing, I want you to know the, notice in the New American Standard, it's a present tense, we have to continually do it, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The idea of the language, the Greek here is to look away from the distractions and to focus on the Lord. We all have seen the running races, and this is the imagery in the Bible, where someone's got the lead, but they know their competitor is hot on their heels, and they begin to look back. And whenever you start to look back, guess what happens? You start to lose ground. You know, I teach baseball, and when the uh, kids are running, we always tell them, don't look at where the ball is, you know, just... Uh, put your eye on the goal and keep running and run through the base. But sometimes you'll see little Johnny and he's, and he's trying to figure out where the play is and it totally slows him down. And that's what was happening to the Hebrews in this little church. They were tempted to move away from Jesus. They were tempted to go back to the law. They were looking back. And no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is what? Luke 9.62, fit for the kingdom of God. You see? But this is what was happening. This was the issue They were distracted. Some of them were taking little looks and some of them were taking longer and longer looks and some of them, frankly, were completely out of the race. They had lost their focus. Jesus is to be the focus, but they were growing weaker under the the weight of persecution. And so the writer says, you need to refocus on Jesus, who for the joy, middle of verse 2, set before him, he endured the cross though he, noticed despised the shame. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and we've talked about the encouragement there, because there 
is where he uh, ministers his high priestly ministry to the saints. And then the writer says in verse 3, for consider him. I told you that's an interesting word because the idea of the word is to contrast Jesus, uh, to look at uh, Jesus and then consider him carefully. And it's kind of like two sides of a ledger. Look at Jesus and then look at your life. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you, and here's the personal application, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. And I told you last week as we ended the message, the imagery is a runner who's totally exhausted and ready to give up on the race, ready to chuck in the towel and whatever imagery comes to your mind. Psalm 121 came to mind as I think of this image of looking at Jesus. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. My eyes must be on Jesus. Because if I look at this world and the distractions in it, man, uh, sometimes it makes you want to lose heart. Now in verse 4, as we pick up our text, the writer begins with an exhortation. He says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving or struggle against sin. If you have an NIV, it says, In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, how do you like that for some encouragement? You haven't yet shed your blood yet, so stop the drama, if you will. It's kind of the way he's saying this. He's told them, consider Jesus. Did Jesus shed his blood at the cross? Oh, yes. And he was who? The Son of God. How about the end of Hebrews 11 when we saw some people who actually died, though they were faithful, though they're in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, they paid the ultimate price. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, yes, you have a struggle. Notice verse 4. The struggle is against what? It's against sin. We must acknowledge that it's a struggle. And every one of us has a struggle in this life against sin. And one of the the main issues here for the Hebrews is the sin of unbelief. It's the sin of doubting God. It's the sin of wanting to throw in the towel and give up on serving the Lord. And the writer is saying, don't do that. Everyone, can I encourage you, everyone is in the struggle. Job says, if a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. Example A, Job. What did Job do wrong? Nothing. He was a blameless and righteous man. But yet he endured so much, and we minimally have to say that God allowed that. Of course, it's educational for those of us who look back on the book of Job, but Job had moments where he's going, Lord, what are you doing? Or what did I do wrong? And frankly, we all go through that. We all have times when we ask why, and and in Job's case, it was simply that he would come to know God better, and God restored everything back to Job fourfold. And he said, man, I, I used to know about you, but now I've seen you, remember, with my eyes. So there was a relational aspect in what God allowed in Job's life. It is going to, can I put it this way to you? It is going to be a struggle all of the days of your life. And the idea of the struggle here is a Greek word that means an agonizing struggle. Now, there are times when we simply feel like we're cruising. But there are other times when, man, it is an absolute struggle to deal with our flesh, to deal with our weaknesses, to deal with our pride, to deal with our cynicism. 
is going to be a struggle, and that's why we need the focus to be on Jesus. We need to consider Jesus. Have you ever uh, done this in your life? Sometimes you'll be going through something, you get a little bit whiny, and then you'll hear a story about somebody going through something ten times or a hundred times worse than you. And then you'll say, gee, I don't have it that bad, do I? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. If you are a longtime listener to Walk in Truth, we could use your help. We are excited to announce we have the opportunity to broadcast on a new radio station, an opportunity that will help this ministry reach more people like you in Oahu, Hawaii. Our mission with Pastor Michael's teachings is to equip listeners with God's Word in a way that helps them address today's issues, trends, and culture. But before we say yes to this opportunity, we could use your help. The price to broadcast on this radio station daily is $2,491 a month. Can you partner with us to reach people in Hawaii? Would you become a Walk in Truth partner today? Your financial commitment of at least $20 a month would help us reach this goal. We have until the end of September to raise these funds. If you become one of the 125 new partners, you'll be part of the team bringing God's truth to more people. That means four people would have to make a commitment each day until the end of September. Would you be one of the four now? Please begin your partnership today by calling 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Or visit walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. And in Job's case, it was simply that he would come to know God better, and God restored everything back to Job fourfold. And he said, man, I I used to know about you, but now I've seen you, remember, with my eyes. So there was a relational aspect in what God allowed in Job's life. It is going to, can I put it this way to you? It is going to be a struggle all of the days of your life. And the idea of the struggle here is a Greek word that means an agonizing struggle. Now, there are times when we simply feel like we're cruising. But there are other times when, man, it is an absolute struggle to deal with our flesh, to deal with our weaknesses, to deal with our pride, to deal with our cynicism. It is going to be a struggle, and that's why we need the focus to be on Jesus. We need to consider Jesus. Have you ever uh, done this in your life? Sometimes you'll be going through something, you get a little bit whiny, and then you'll hear a story about somebody going through something ten times or a hundred times worse than you. And then you'll say, gee, I don't have it that bad, do I? Look at what this person has endured or this person has gone through. Well, when you consider Jesus, Hebrews 12.3, that's the idea. Look at Jesus and all he went through and then look at your life. Compare Jesus to your life. Go down the ledger and see how you're doing. And in the time that this is being written, apparently no Hebrew Christian or those within the church had suffered martyrdom. Though we know historically there was some martyrdom that would happen under the Emperor Claudius. Apparently nobody had died yet. Now when's the last time that you were out witnessing and someone threw a rock at you and you started to bleed? Anybody experience that in this room? Yet there are people in other nations and people in the early church who go through that. We have not, in our struggle against sin, this is applicable to the American church, resisted to the point of shedding our blood, have we? 
As a matter of fact, for most of us, let's be honest, that's not even in our vocabulary because frankly, a good portion of the church doesn't even bother witnessing so they don't even get themselves in those situations. I know that's a gulper. I know we have to sit and go, ooh, ooh, but it's true. If you're not doing anything where a rock might come your way, then you may want to consider the ledger in an opposite way. Not just what Jesus suffered, but what are you doing for the kingdom? Are you getting any heat in your life at all? Be careful, Jesus said, when all men speak well of you. Yes, we want favor with God and man, no doubt. We don't want to do things just to annoy people to annoy people. But let me tell you, if you're a Christian living on the front lines and trying to make yourself uh, available to the gospel, uh, there's some potential angst and minimally that's going to come your way. Some people are going to get upset with you because the gospel is offensive to the human mind, isn't it? Jesus said in Matthew 10, 24 and 25, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become as his teacher, and the slave is his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, which literally means the lord of the flies, how much more the members of his household? It's going to happen. If you're out there, if you're putting your faith on the line, that you're going to get some heat that may come your way. And that can be okay. Because at least it means you're doing something. Now verse 5 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation, the NIV says the word of encouragement, which is addressed to you as sons or daughters, we could add. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. Now the first thing that you need to see is the word of encouragement. The exhortation, the idea here is a calling near, an imploring, an encouragement. It's addressed to you as sons. Don't forget that. You are sons and daughters of the king. What follows is being spoken to God's children. This is the way that God deals with his kids. The discipline that comes from the Lord comes from a heart of love and it comes to those who are in his family. Now there are usually two responses to discipline. Some regard it lightly and some faint or they're crushed under the weight of it. And really, it often depends on the personality of the child. There are some children that get disciplined and for whatever reason, they regard it lightly. They may get dealt with by daddy and uh, daddy does spank, right? And so they go into their room, but they regard it lightly. They don't think much about it. They blow it off. R. Kent Hughes says they blow it off, and by re- refusing to consider what their deep, their deep waters, their lives remain perpetually shallow. They regard it lightly. They don't think much about it. Now, when we're going through discipline, hopefully we're the opposite. Hopefully we're in the middle category where we don't regard it lightly. We're not overwhelmed by it, but we're reflective. We start to think about, you know what? What is going on and what's the Lord trying to say into my life? Now, I have to give you a qualification. Not everything that goes wrong in your life is directly from the hand of God. We know that. But there are many times in our lives when we know God is doing something preventative or corrective. And at those times, James says, and the context is testing and perseverance, if any of you lack wisdom, let him Ask of God. The context is, ask God why this is happening so that you may grow. I'll give you an example. David in the Bible was called a man, remember, after God's own heart. 
Now, when David committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba and ultimately murdered Uriah, what did the Lord do? Before you spoke the word, David, you were forgiven, said Nathan to David. However, the child born from this illicit relationship will what? Die. Now, what did David do? Did David say, oh, yeah, right. Forget about it. No, David was overwhelmed. He said, man, I've sinned. He went into prayer and fasting. He wouldn't eat. He got on his face before God. Who knows if God will be uh, gracious, but God did take that child. And we believe that Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 are written in the wake of that whole thing where David takes some real stock of his life. And he says, create in me, remember, a clean heart, O God. I need you to work in my heart because I have messed up. I experienced Psalm 32, your heavy hand upon me. And God's hand of heaviness was not upon David because he didn't love David. He called David a man after his own heart. Later on, David numbered the, uh, the troops in Israel or the people in Israel. Uh, 2 Samuel 24. God did not want him to do that. And so when it was all said and done and God confronted him, God said, I'm going to give you the choice of what your punishment's going to be. And God laid out some things to him, and, God, and David wisely said, I, I don't want to choose, you choose, God. Have you ever done this with your child? Okay, let's talk about your punishment. It could be A, B, or C. Tell me what you want. And your kid's going, <laughs> right? And daddy, you choose, because they know daddy's a softie, right? <laughs> Don't regard it lightly. David would never forget the hard lessons. You know, in 2 Samuel 24, when he let God choose, 70,000 Israelites died in a plague as a result of David's disobedience. We must be careful. You've been listening to The Lord Disciplines Those He Loves, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. And if you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is always available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many other podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. And would you please tell a friend about Walk in Truth? We hope today's teaching will be a blessing and uplifting to someone you care about. Would you please encourage a friend or family member to listen to Walk in Truth on this station? If you're listening through your podcast app, please click the share button. Thanks so much for spreading the word about Walk in Truth. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, as we study a passage on discipline, which isn't the most fun topic, but it is a necessary topic, the reason that God disciplines, one of the reasons beyond the fact that he loves us and wants the best for us, is that we might share in his holiness. What does that mean? Well, it means that because God is holy, we are to be like our God, like our King, like our Lord, like our Master. It is enough if a student becomes as his Master. That's what Jesus said. And Paul said, I'm striving uh, with the Galatians, I think it's Galatians 4.19, until Christ is formed in you. God's goal, if you will, is that we become more like Jesus which means we'll become more holy. What does that mean? A holier-than-thou attitude? Looking down our nose at everybody? No. Holiness means you become more like Jesus. And when you read about Jesus in the New Testament, he is the definition of holiness. 
his love, his goodness, his kindness, his patience, his grace, his justice, his righteousness. This is what will happen. And you won't have to announce it. It'll just be evident in who you are and how you live. This is Pastor Michael Lance, and you are listening to Walk in Truth. And I want to encourage you, as we are here on a Friday, to plug in to local fellowship. If you don't have a home church and you're not shut in, you can get out and about. You should be part of a home, I should say, you should be part of a local fellowship. A home fellowship's good too. And what does that mean? It means that you're using your gifts in a local body. It means you're corporately worshiping the Lord. You're giving. You're inviting friends. You're building up the body. You're serving. Uh, you're, you're obeying the one another commands. There's 59 one another commands in the New Testament. Hard to do if you're not with one another. I think you get the point. We'll catch you on Monday for part two of The Lord Disciplines Those That He Loves. We'll see you then. God bless you. Hey, if you're a longtime listener to Walk in Truth, we could use your help. We're excited to announce that we have an opportunity to broadcast on a radio station in Oahu, Hawaii. The price to broadcast on this radio station daily is $2,491 a month. Can you partner with us to reach people in Hawaii? Would you become a Walk in Truth partner today? Your financial commitment of at least $20 a month would help us reach this goal. We have until the end of September to raise these funds. So if you become one of 125 new partners, you'll be part of the team bringing God's truth to more people. That means four people would have to make a commitment each day until the end of September. Will you be one of those four now? Please begin your partnership today by calling 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Or visit walkintruth.com. And join us Monday for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Hebrews 12, 4 through 11, called The Lord Disciplines Those He Loves. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.